All right, ladies and gents, welcome back to the intro. We got the full team today. Yeah, full team. The Mighty Morphin Power Ranger team right here. Just oh. doing all these moves. Everybody moves. Can't see it. We don't have video, but we're doing the moves. Gentlemen, James, Max, what's going on? I'm happy to be here. They were like, they were something like, I think that was the move. Arms yeah, you, out and then cross. Don't pretend like you don't know the move and you just get <laughs> yeah. the move completely correct. <laughs> No, you have, to, you have to show your icon. Oh, yeah. That's a dinosaur. <laughs> How fucking high or drunk were the people who come up with the stuff for, like, these shows? The they were actors. just us. They were just us. They were us, but productive. Uh, no. That's actually not the, not the history of uh, Power Rangers. The history of Power Rangers is... It was a Japanese show bought by an Israeli guy brought to the United States. Um, so, you know, without knowing the truth, I actually believe that 100% without doubting it. One second. Oh, so, it, it uh, there's a really legit. good, there's a really good how I built this about the creator of uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. So, it's good. Done. I'm gonna watch that. I love it. You gotta listen to it. So, but you could watch it too. But it's a it's a podcast. But you could also watch it. There's a couple of shows on Netflix. Um, called like the games that made us or the shows that made us um, love those shows those are super 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 interesting i think i watched one on uh super mario brothers and that one was outstandingly good about how nintendo and uh the creation of the characters and how much work went into creating that whole concept it's unbelievable well it was ba- it was based on a true story right yeah, two brothers, Mario and Luigi, and they were both plumbers. Based out of Brooklyn. Based right? out of Brooklyn, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. New York. Oh, yeah. um, I saw a pair of... Uh, where are you guys? What is your stand on spirit animals? Like, you see an animal, and that's like a spirit that's telling you something about your life. Where do you guys stand on that? <laughs> Have you been uh, going on some of the, some of the darkness retreats that Aaron Rodgers has been on? Like, I don't even know who that is or what a darkness retreat is. So, no. Aaron Rodgers is the future Hall of Fame quarterback who played most of his career for the Green Bay Packers and recently signed, I think, a hundred million dollar plus deal with the New York Jets. Um, oh, so- he dated Danica Patrick, right? He's getting paid. I don't know if he did. I like that that's, that, that's, that that's what James knows. Like, James is so up on his TMZ stuff. He's like, oh, yeah, he did Danica Patrick in 2020. It's like, well, maybe. Well, Danica I, Patrick was also doing CrossFit for a hot minute in there. So I think that that was – that might be part of James's knowledge of the situation. Um. Okay, so where you – what's a darkness retreat and what, where is our stance on spirit animals? So somebody's Aaron about to get Rogers, eviscerated here. If they Aaron Rodgers participates in these. Is Aaron, that a bad Rogers, thing to say? No, no, I'm just joking. No. So there are these ayahuasca trips that people like have been going on where you spend like a week or two, like in the jungle and you take what, you know, they call medicine. It makes you trip. And apparently like Aaron Rodgers to make his decision, if he was going to go to the jets, 
did some like darkness retreat. So like taking ayahuasca. So I was asking you, are you seeing spirit animals while you're on one of your trips? And then it made me think about another Simpsons episode where Homer eats a really hot chili and has a trip and sees his spirit animal, which is a fox. Another do you remember that Homer's one? spirit animal, a fox. Um, it, it, I know what I know what ayahuasca is. I've read it. You got to read the book, The Cosmic Serpent. Um, okay. I wanted. To, I've had some friends go on ayahuasca um, journeys. Yes, yes. That's I. That's what it's called now. Um, yeah. Wait. Okay. So tell so, us about yeah. your spirit animal. Tell us about spirit animals, James. Well, so we've been. Um, Cassandra and I moved, and so we're taking the dog on morning walks now. And it's really pretty uh, area surrounding where we live. And there's like a little um, man-made pond that they fill. And they're starting to fill it. But yesterday we were walking and we saw a fox, which is pretty normal, I think. Um, we see lots of rabbits. But today we saw a raccoon. And so I had the dog sit because it's early in the morning when we go. So the sun's just kind of getting up and uh, the raccoon was climbing up a tree and these two, which I haven't seen one in person and I have never seen two in person. These two great horned owls flew down, harassed the raccoon. They like buzzed the tower. The poor raccoons climbing up the tree and the great horned owl just like bumps them. It was so mean because they're huge, man. They're, they're monstrous. And uh, then the great horned owl pair went and flew up in the tree and above the path where we were walking. And they're so scary, man. They're looking down at us as we're walking up at them and their heads turning around, but just beautiful creature. And they're enormous. But anyway, they're pretty rare to see. And um, I was reading about great horned owls and what the sighting meaning is, because I like this kind of stuff. So the great <laughs> horned owl spiritual meaning relates to fiercely defending what you believe in, as well as staying strictly loyal to where you are most at home. That wow! Really if that if that's not you, I don't know who is. That's Hobart right there. That's an honor Hobart, to even think. I don't Hobart think I'm. I think I'm more like a. I'm like I'm like a field mouse. <laughs> no, <laughs> but anyway. So I wanted. To, I was thinking about this morning. What what your guys is? Uh, they were really mean to that raccoon. Um, what your take is on spirit animals, and if you if you have one, but I don't know if that's is that a bad. If you said you said it's a bad thing to say. No, no, I was just joking. I was just joking. Um, was there just meaning behind it? I just wonder, um, cause I remember a long time ago, we're going to go down the rabbit hole right now. My grandfather, when he died, um, I constantly would see this great blue heron that lived clearly near our house and I had never seen it until after he died. So, um, I always thought that was interesting. It's just coincidence, yeah, but still it's a I... great blue heron's a beautiful bird to watch fly around too. Yeah, it really is. There's uh, an area near where we live where there's uh, a ton of nests, and their their nests can be um, can be really high up in the trees. So, you know what? This is now just a nature podcast. So, and I'm 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 here for it. This is this is really cool because while you were doing this, I was looking up the most loyal animals because. I thought that, you know, for me, for a spirit animal, I think I'm a pretty loyal friend. And you are so, really loyal, yeah. Yeah, so your top eight most loyal animals, cats. This is like, what's your Patronus? Oh, wow. Even So that's when we start the Harry Potter podcast, which that's I'm, coming total, up. I'm totally for. So we got cats, dogs. Oh, my mom goats. got a dog, too. Sorry, cats, dogs, goats are loyal. Goats, wolves, <laughs> ducks. 
angler fish. Max is a duck. I'd love to be a duck. How is an angler fish loyal? Those are the ones with the little dinglies off there. The one that almost ate Dory. Yeah. Remember that? Uh, In Finding Nemo? Penguins and swans. Stop looking at me, swan. (laughs) All right. We need to light some incense right now. We need to have... MDB is so mad. No, no, no. I, have, I, I love this stuff, man. We let's light some incense. Let's like find a little shaman monk to like hit a gong for us here or something. Burn the sage. Burn the sage. Yeah, we got to do a cleansing. Um, no, I. You know, with stuff like this, I. I I don't know who's to say that there's not something to it. You know, if it's if it's meaningful to you and it 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 hits you in a way that makes you feel something very deeply it's hard to say that that's not part of your reality you know like i i think that there's something to obviously a human being connection with nature and the environment around them now i think that there are ways to take this way too far way too far and if you've ever seen the movie grizzly man he takes it way too far. This is a guy so, who goes and lives in the uh, Alaskan wilderness and tries to connect with grizzly bears and gets insanely, stupidly, and kind of wantonly and recklessly close to grizzly bears over the course of 13 summers. But I'll let you derive. What's the spoiler? What's the what spoiler, you, what spoiler you, alert? What do you think the spoiler alert is at the end gets of that? Gets by a bear. The dude gets eaten by a grizzly bear. So, like, it's an insanely good documentary. It's a Werner Herzog documentary. But at the end of the film, you find out that this guy and his lover, who was spending time with him in the Alaskan wilderness, both get eaten by a grizzly bear, which is insane. So, yeah, I think that there's something to spirit animals. But if you think your spirit animal is a fucking grizzly bear, you're not going to go up and hug it. Like, be smart about it. Damn. Yeah. Damn. So I should. So I just got my backpack packed up. I'm moving out. I told Cassandra this morning I'm gonna go live with the owls. Shouldn't do that. <laughs> Ooh, well, hold on. Ooh. Living living with the owls might be might be cool. Um, I don't know, man. <laughs> they are so big. And when we were walking underneath them, it was so scary. Cassandra, I was like, I was just watching the owl. I wish we had video on this, but its head was just slowly tilting down, looking at us. And they do. They look like they got their arms all like akimbo, like this, just staring, you know, across and pissed. And Cassandra, I was like, it's staring, it's staring at us, it's staring at us. And she's like, I'm not looking up. And I was waiting for it to just come out and claw our heads up. It's probably trying to think about whether you're a threat or food. Yeah. Well, it looked at our little little ribbon, and I was like, they might swoop him. I wonder how he's going to no. react. No, ribbon for sure. Ribbon, ribbon would ribbon would crush them. Oh man. Maybe. So I, I committed one of the cardinal sins of fitness yesterday, fellows. Uh oh. I was putting away a. You did. Uh, you did sit ups with a boner. That's a card. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lucy Hobart. Sorry. Oh my goodness. Um, I have do you remember? Do you remember when that was it? Well, that's a different. Well, we won't talk about that. Oh uh, no. Well, we have right, to sorry. talk. We have to talk about this now because that was a. <laughs> That was a thing for a minute during um, the Fran workout on on seminar staff. You'd have people get so excited about doing the workout that, that they would they'd be uh, pitching a tent while doing their uh, thrusters. And no pull-ups. way. Yeah. 
Yeah, way. Well, I've never been. We call, we call it. We call workout. it workout induced turgidity. <laughs> wow, I've. Uh, oh, all right, I've what's the cardinal sin? We got to move. We got to move on from this fast. This is going to spiral. All right. all right. So, what? What's that, the cardinal sin? That was, in fact, why they changed the level one workout from Fran to the twenty-one fifteen-nine thruster and burpee. Excuse me, uh, fifteen-twelve thruster. And no, burpee. it is not. We're moving on. Snapped <laughs> it right off. All right. So James is ready to move the, on. What, what's the cardinal sin, MDV? Oh, the cardinal sin is. Um, so I always thought that you would completely lose a finger when you put away a 75 pound dumbbell in the rogue uh, iron dumbbell storage and you miss and you hit your finger underneath it. it turns out it just bleeds and hurts like a motherfucker. But oh. um, yeah, I was super lucky actually, because I thought I was going to look down and see half my finger. <clears throat> I was doing a workout yesterday and just got, a little lazy or careless when putting away the, the 75 pound dumbbell had one hand on the edge of the, um, whatever they call it, the storage, the iron storage, guillot finger guillotine, whatever rogue, <laughs> rogue was creating there. It's the most, can we, uh, can we put a sharper edge on that, please? Can it be sharpened like a <laughs> blade, please? And can uh, we, can we also appreciate MDV's flex of using a 75 pound dumbbell? Yeah, I for do, sure. I, I do. I do appreciate that. You're like, well, I was using a 120-pound dumbbell, and then I went that went ahead to rack it. <laughs> Super specific. And I threw it up in the air, and I was juggling it. Yeah. I was using two, both in the same hand. Um, no. <laughs> I put it away carelessly, and the back end of the dumbbell just smashed down on my finger at full force, and it fucking hurt. Really. How about, when you, how about when you're stacking plates – on like one of the the wheelie things and then you get like a little piece of your thigh like you're a little too close and the plate comes down and it pinches has that ever happened to you pinching your well, not with between plates is no not your awesome. finger like like but it, like it catches like if you're standing too close close to the stack it's just like maybe like pinches like some skin on the belly or the leg yes yes that's a bad one I had a buddy once and he was, he was sliding a two by 10 into the back of a truck and he slid another one on top of it and dropped it and it pinched his belly and it like cut oh. a hole oh, in, no, the, in no. his belt. It was so gross. No, no. Yeah. I think about that every time I put plates away. You know what I hate is one time I dropped a plate straight down and it bounced. I just had my hand hanging by my side and it bounced up and jammed my fingers. Oh. <laughs> Just, I was so mad. Like, you know how angry you get just at the object? Like, you're not angry at yourself for being stupid. You're just like, this plate hurt me. <laughs> so um, wait, so yesterday I took um I took my uh Massachusetts gun safety class because I wanted to learn about about guns. I thought that's something that I, I should learn about. And the guy said he was teaching us how to how to rack it, and he said, you know, you never want to get your thumb close to uh i forget what 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 it's called because one time he saw somebody who like racked it and like his finger was too close and it came back and snapped his thumb into that area and he was like he's like he's like the the whole thumb just exploded like (laughs) (laughs) which which i did appreciate about the course there were a number of scared straight moments and it was really, really effective for me. Like I, I will listen a lot when you tell me about like some gruesome type of injury, even if it's not real, you know, it's like this one guy, I'm like, not going to be me. 
So I made sure I paid attention. Anyway, that's, a, that's I took, you know, who I took that class with Harry Pally. Did Harry teach it? Nope. Nope. He, he didn't. He probably could have. Yeah. There's oh. a, there's a video uh, that's gone around uh, online about these, these people are taking a gun safety course or being introduced to gun safety at a firing range. And the instructor is showing them how to use a revolver in the range. And he, <laughs> I mean, he's, he is, <laughs> he's like, I almost, I'm fucking cracking up thinking about it because he takes the revolver like super close to his face. <laughs> then he's talking to them about the, about the mechanism, the, um, whatever the hammer. Either hammer at the end. And he, it fucking goes off right in this guy's face and he shoots the revolver into the ceiling and everybody around is just like astounded at how, how, dangerous, how dangerous it looks and when you're watching it it looks so dangerous and the guy tries to play it off like nothing happened oh my goodness anyway um what, what do we what do we got on the fitness side of things today hold on hold on i gotta talk about this one time um we were front squatting with bands one time at uh crossfit oh, wait dude. i hate bands so, wait man you, i saw it you know this, this is the this is this is the week that i met you this is this is when you took me through elements i remember you were wearing sandals oh, oh is this when cheryl blasted caitlin's foot no but that's another crazy story all right no go, go ahead so we were front squatting and going through this phase at CrossFit New England where everybody was trying to get really, really strong. And I remember I was front squatting with like Hamill and whoever else. And we had bands wow. attached to, I think they were attached to the bottom of the, the rack with either pins or attached to the bottom of the rack with dumbbells somehow. But the barbell was loaded with bands and then loaded with plates. And there was a lot of tension in, in the bar, but it was, you were still able to move it up and down, but we stripped all the plates off of the bar and we were no. going, yeah, this, this was probably this one of the stupidest things I've ever done. We stripped all the plates off of the bar and we were looking to undo the bands. So instead of undoing the bands off the end of the barbell, I, th I thought I could take the bar and lower it from my shoulder. <laughs> i can't even looking at james's face he's in so dis, so much disgust there was so much fucking tension still in the barbell it just was like a fucking rocket ship down from my shoulders speaking of mario it turned you into a little goomba just like <laughs> straight into my <laughs> straight into my toes oh my god that was very painful i, I think i broke both of my <clears throat> Both oh my, my god my yeah you want you want to hear you want to hear a really good mdv quote from no 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 elements no 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 let's move on let's move on oh come on i know what you're gonna say we got to move on um so mdv goes in my elements class he's wearing he's wearing sandals and he's explained to us what happened and we'll move on all right go ahead what are we going to do now move on we'll save that story for another day we can't we can't give such terrible uh, coaching advice to uh, to those listeners out there. Well, that is one thing that we do want to talk about today. James, you sent us a, a good little piece from our man, uh, Jason Ackerman, who, again, he's he's the hottest, hottest conversation that we have here, which is... Um, <laughs> I don't know. I thought the owl thing was pretty cool, man. Great horned owls. It's pretty <laughs> awesome. 
No, me too. So, um, empty reps is, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Quick um, it says, it says, um, empty reps is why you're a bad coach, but damn it. I'm trying to be nicer. Point being when you're teaching a progression, you should be giving out at least three cues per rep called the setup position, except, uh, example, stance and grip, the dynamic movement, bar path, timing, hip extension, the finishing position, range of motion, bar position, active shoulders. That means in a class of 15 people, it only takes five reps to give everyone a cue, uh, cue to every person. Um, though this is the goal, it can be a lot at first. Start by giving at least one cue every rep. When you nail that. I think that's the most valuable thing he says in that post. One cue every rep I think is reasonable. I kind of call bullshit on the three cues thing. Yeah. The three cues? That seems like a lot. I'm not sure if I could do that. I think one is pretty good. And and this is this is just my two cents. I want to get your guys' um, feeling on it. Um, your athlete can really only focus on one thing. So now what? You're going to give them three things? Well, like I think he's, he's saying cue three different people. So like... Hey, MDV, on the next rep, keep the bar closer. Max, you need to get your elbows up. And, um, oh, Timmy, um, you should probably just leave. <laughs> Old Timmy. Timmy. Timmy Hobart, my little brother. Timmy Hobart. <laughs> um, Timmy. <laughs> South Park? Oh, man. We can't go into Timmy from South Park. No, we can't. We can't. Cassandra was watching an episode of South Park. Today. It's just one of those things where you – I never – I followed this show like – not hardcore, but every time I've watched it, I just almost die laughing. And you just forget how funny that show is. They're the best. They're they're. It's probably one of the most ingenious shows ever in terms of how they've brought to life. Uh, well, I mean, it obviously is derivative of The Simpsons. You don't think so, Max? I, no, I think I think I think South Park is the stupidest show. Like I, I think it's insane that it's still a show. I think that it was like novel when it first came out, but I, I don't know. Like I like the OG Simpsons. Um, I don't know. Honestly, my other favorite cartoon right now, my hero academia, really good, really good show. Um, Wait until you well, see. Oh man. It's let's good. go back to talking about coaching for a second and then we'll get back into talking <laughs> about cartoons. Sorry. So, um, so I, if I'm if I'm hearing this post right, what he's saying is that you should have one cue per athlete per rep and looking at three things in that repetition and be able to what so what is he saying? He's saying that you should aspire to as a great coach be able to deliver three cues per rep you take. So like I said, I give the example. We take a rep. I watch it. Hey, hey, MDV, keep the bar close on this rep. Max, get your elbows up right now. And Timmy, I need you to squeeze your abs. All right, next rep. Bang. That's what I think he's saying. Hmm. Is this during the – so let's get this straight. Is this during the teaching portion of your class or is this during a workout? I think he's talking about during teaching portion, like, hey, let's we're going to review the push press right now. Well, he's talk he's talking about called reps. So the the thing that I like about the the overarching theme here is trying to do away with empty repetitions, right? So essentially, and this is something that I talk to coaches about all the time. If you're going to call reps on you, there has to be more than and go reset. Go for sure. So for that, sure. Right. Uh, you know, like 
if if you're going to call reps like that, you might as well just have them either go five reps on their own or go at a 20 second clock or something like that. So if you're going to call reps, there needs to be some type of cueing. But I, I don't know. I think the, the the thing that I have a hard time with here is you don't want your athletes holding on to, you know, bars or holding positions for too long. They're going to lose interest. If you have a class of, he said a class of 15, what if you have a class of 25? What if you have a class of 30? Like, so anyway, James, what were you, you, you thoughts make, make You make, you make 20 people sit down while you only coach 15. Oh, okay. That's good. I think that, yeah, sounds like a fun class. Um, no, I, I get the point he's getting at. Of course, I think for most coaches, I would, I tell them this when I work with coaches and I'm like, if you can get to the point where you are assessing, cueing and correcting one thing per one to two reps, you are already in this class of coaches that is far above the average, at least from what I've seen in going around in coaching. The other thing I think we, we end up doing, and maybe it's better to err on this side of it and then go back. But the other thing I see happening is like, you've called 10, 15 reps and you're giving cue for every 10, 15 reps. You're moving the entire class at your own pace, which I do think there's value to like some, a majority of the reps you call when you're doing some progression teaching or something like this should be at your pace. But I think if you're not taking the opportunity to like, hey, I'm going to call three reps. And once I get through those three reps, hey, I want you guys to take five reps on your own, right? Because then that allows Sally in the back, who's who's an advanced athlete, to move a little faster. And that allows, you know, Max, who's brand new, to maybe move a little slower. I think you have to have a balance. I think you need empty reps. And if by empty reps, they mean reps where you're not like leading and cueing, correcting. You need a balance of reps where you are controlling pace and queuing as well as just letting the athletes move on their own for a little while. I agree with that. I I think if you queue and correct every rep and call every rep in a warm up, I'm bored out of my mind. I'm probably not going to your class again. Yeah, for sure. And we're, we're also talking about a time period in class in which the goal of what you're doing is to get these people ready for whatever movement that they're going to be doing in the workout and then coaching these people with load and speed and volume at that point. So when you're teaching or breaking down a movement, at least in my opinion, yes, you want to have a defined focus. Yes. You want to maybe highlight some of the points of performance during your demonstration, depending on how the movement shows up in the workout and the loading and this type of stuff, you have to make the, the, the decision about like what you're going to focus on. But also I, I, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with like, calling reps for your athletes and then maybe even calling a few where you don't necessarily say anything like you just let them feel the movement for a little bit like this rush to over coach and over correct every little thing that happens in a movement i think is is a is a miss in the opposite direction i know what jason is trying to say here i know he's trying to say that you should be giving your athletes feedback on their movement and that you don't want to just mindlessly call repetitions. Go, 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 go. I get it. But on the other end of the spectrum, overloading your athletes with too much stuff or pausing them every two seconds or you know, having them hold positions kind of just to hold positions and you know, give them multiple cues per, per rep is not necessarily the way that I believe it should go down either. There's definitely a balance. I'm erring more on the side now of, focusing more intently on the piece that I want to focus on and then letting the athletes move and figure it out. And then through the coaching period, kind of get them more refined. Yeah. So 
MDV, I think you're you're spot on. I think we're all kind of in agreement here, but I'm going to give an example of um, this week we were teaching the strict press. And what I wanted to see from my coaches where I wanted to see um, three sets where athletes were doing five reps on the coach and five reps on their own. And I wanted the coaches to give one focal point for each set of 10 that they were going to do. So big shout out to MDV you used to tell me that the strict press was like you were a broke college kid and you're trying to squeeze every last bit of toothpaste out of the top. So we started by <laughs> you're like, you're like rubbing it against the wall. <laughs> yeah. Rolling Dude, it all were, the way up from the bottom. <laughs> yeah. You were, you were, you were so broke. And then at the end you cut the top off and scoop the, scoop oh, the yeah. toothbrush in there. And then that, and then the last week you mix it with a little bit of water, make a little slurry and you're good to go. I literally um, did this the other day. Yeah. So uh, old habits die hard. So anyway, sure. so the, the, the first set on the strict press, the biggest focus was entire foot in contact with the ground, squeeze the glutes, squeeze the quads. That's what we're going to look for. We're going to do five reps on me. Then the coach can work the room and cue athletes on just that first piece, right? You do five on you, they go through them, and then they go five on their own. And then essentially, we just built it up from that point. Second focus was roll the rib cage down, elbow slightly through. Third set was getting the head out of the way, finishing with everything stacked. So I like what you guys just said, which is, yes, you want to be giving out these cues, but you also want to make sure that the athletes can digest it. And MDV, I love what you said. Like, there is a time and a place to hold people in positions. But if you're just like holding somebody in a position for 30 seconds while you're giving like seven other people cues and this person's just down there dying a slow death, it's like, that's a huge miss. So there, there, there really is this, uh, it's a hard balance to strike between, you know, wanting people to move well, but also wanting people to, to have a good time. So I like, uh, I like the mix of reps on you and then reps on their own. Yeah, that's, that's probably one of the biggest mistakes that I see coaches make when they're um, in the teaching portion. And I'm talking about after warm-up, you're going into a specific portion of your class where you're breaking down a movement with your athletes and they're under your guidance in some sort of structured way. Now, whether or not you want to do this where you're calling the reps for them or whatever, blah, blah, blah. One of the biggest mistakes that I see during this portion of the class with coaches is a lack of awareness of how the group is kind of feeling or how the group is um, currently ho holding a position while you're interacting with just one athlete or while you're talking to them and being overly verbose. At some point, the athletes stop thinking about anything that you're saying and only are thinking about why am I still holding this damn barbell while this coach is talking to me about what's going on. There's, there's definitely got to be an awareness there of moving your athletes through these positions without holding them kind of um, uh, recklessly, not recklessly, but holding them for long periods of times in positions where you're not necessarily honing in on anything. You know, if you have everybody in the bottom of a front squat and you're trying to manipulate one person in the front of the room, the rest of the class is just fucking suffering in the bottom of the front squat. You have to have the awareness to pull the athletes up, let them flag, pull the barbell, maybe give a demonstration in the front of the room and then come back and start calling reps again. Okay. So what are some things you guys are looking for to have that, that awareness? Like that's so easy for us to say is like have situational awareness. What are some specific things you're looking for to know? Like, Ooh, didn't hold them long enough. Ooh, held them too long, spending too much time on this point, whatever. 
Well, here, here, here's a really easy one with any barbell warm up, or like you're having people move through a barbell. People are putting the barbell down before you're done. So like, so here's the deal. If you're taking somebody through a barbell progression and you've got your Jason Ackerman 15 person stud class, and you've got three athletes that are putting the bar down because you're taking them through 10 called reps or whatever, it's like, well, maybe I should be doing five like that. That to me is, is like a telltale sign. I actually, this is, this is kind of overarching theme in anybody's class is are your athletes participating in the class? Like how many athletes are pretending to tie their shoes? How many athletes are going to get water, use the bathroom? Are they engaged Are like, are they actually doing what you're asking them to do? And it's, it's kind of, I mean, that's, that's pretty tough. You know, like if you start realizing that half your class is just bullshitting around, you're like, okay, I need to, I need to fix something. So I don't know. I, big thing for me is during a barbell warm up, people, people putting, putting the bar down. Super, super simple. Yeah. I just, I just hold to, to know, like, if I lead you for three to five reps, you're going to rest. Like I literally hold myself to that. Like usually probably closer to three, but yeah, no more than five. And then everyone gets a rest. Like, hey, cause and it's also probably time for me to give them either a reminder of what I just taught them or, you know, move on to something else or. I agree. That's why you always got to have Taylor Swift shake it off. And then you just turn it up when the, when it's down and they, they shake it off and then you get them to pick up the bar again and everybody's having a good time. All right, MDV. Sorry about that. What were you going to say? No, no, no. I uh, love me some Taylor Swift. Um, one of the things that I think coaches should be aware of is how they're positioned in relation to the athlete that they are, are talking to or working with and the rest of the group. So one of the things that I try to never do, or if I see a coach doing this, I try to always have them correct it is never have your back to the vast majority of yeah. the group. So when you're, if you have your athletes lined up in, in two or three lines or columns or whatever, and you're only working, let's say within the first couple of athletes in the front of the room, don't have your back to the 90% of your athletes behind you while you're working with the athlete who's in front of you. Manipulate yourself or change your position so you can get around the athlete. So you're looking at the athlete you're working with, but also looking at the entirety of the group. You never want to have your back to the majority of the participants. And this is something where this is where I see a lot of people lose awareness because they're trying to work with this one athlete who might not be giving you what you're asking. And you're trying multiple cues and you're trying to get them to get into the position that you want. But meanwhile, everybody else is suffering behind you, not really getting anything from you. So I'm not saying don't work with athletes on trying to change their position. Change your position in relation to the athlete. And then when you see, you know, it's or a couple of seconds have gone by and you haven't given everything, uh, anything else to the rest of the group, have everybody stand up, put the barbells down, you know, give them the rest that they probably need at that point, and then make your point um, to the either the entire group or make that point one-on-one -on -one and then move on. So really, really good point there about how to position yourself in class. I always talk to coaches about like you're uh, a coach in the NFL. A coach on the NFL works the the um, the boundary really well, right? But they're like you said, there's never their their back to anybody on the field, right? So they're always positioning themselves in a way that they can see what's going on in the action, but they're essentially like straddling that line. So that's actually what it's like when you're coaching in a room, right? You should be able to to do that, and um, 
The other thing to think about is how you are queuing people in a large group. You're probably not doing a lot of tactile queuing during this portion, right? You're probably doing a lot of auditory queuing, right? And even you're probably not doing a ton of visual queuing either, unless it's really, really quick, right? Like if you have one of these larger groups to all your points, you're probably not going over there and working with James and like, you know, giving him this tactile cue of lifting his elbows or pushing the knees out, whatever it is, is probably something like, hey, James, elbows up a little bit higher. It's, and, and again, it's like, can you give it in like four or five words? Because other than that, like you said, pe people are just suffering and they're losing interest. Like I know for me, if I'm being choked out by a barbell and it's not Friday night, it's really not going to feel great for me, right? So I'm, <laughs> my, my big focus is, is to make sure that people are 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 staying with me. I don't want to lose people. Safety word, pineapple. Yeah, working um, working between large groups and small groups. I think you have to you have to change up how you're you're interacting with those with those uh, sizes, right? Like the smaller the group, the more intimate you're you're able to be, and and the closer you can be, and like the the more specific you can be with your cueing, and you don't you're not worrying as much about the larger group at that point. <clears throat> when you have an extremely large group, you have to pull back a little bit more think a little bit more generally about what you're going to deliver to these athletes and then deliver it in a way that as you work around, you're working kind of in quadrants in that large group. Maybe you start in the first quarter and then you move to the second and the third and the fourth and you move around the room that way. What, what an awesome time. Like a lot of the times when we're talking, we're talking about larger groups. There is something so amazing where like, you know, you're, you're on the schedule of coach and you get like that five to seven person class and you're like, hat goes backwards. You're like, shit's about to get real right now. Like I'm about to give you everything that I have. And like, I, I don't know. I think like, I think there's something so incredibly exciting about having that huge group and the energy is like insane. And then you've got that five to seven person group and you're like, yo, I need to, I need as a coach to pick up the energy right here to make sure that I'm giving them that energy. But also like, can I give them just something a little bit different than they would get in that large class? And I think that that opportunity is, you know, again, one of the uh, 1 million reasons why coaching is such a spectacular thing to do, but it's like, it's, um, it's so cool. You know, that, and that, that's like the opportunity where you're going to build a relationship in that hour with those five to seven people that for like the rest of their tenure at your gym, you will have such a closer bond with those people. Yeah. I think the big, the better approach maybe here is like less like, you know, empty reps or, or cue five times per rep is that you just, it's as much intentionality in your coaching as possible. Like, Hey, if I'm not going to give any cues right now it's because i'm doing something specific or allowing for this specific opportunity um and i do think too you need to be aware of the fact that there are athletes out there who are so much more responsive to a lot of cueing and others who are just hey like i just want enough cueing so i'm safe and get a little bit better by the end of class and i think that's something you have to pay attention to you know if, one if you're cueing somebody multiple times per rep and you're not seeing a change it's probably something you have to go fix on yourself or you know really dive into like what's going on with the athlete um 
That's a really and good also point. giving your giving yourself enough time to assess what the heck went wrong. But yeah. I like that idea. Yeah, I was, it's I always used to, I like saying like if you're it's a class of five people, like everybody's gonna get the a la carte meal. Like they're gonna get their own special little custom made suit for yeah, that class. Yeah. Like it's just gonna be so dialed in. Whereas in a bigger class, you are getting something a little bit more. I don't want to say generic, but it's a little bit more general across the whole class. Well, it's, well, it, it has to be. You have to be at that point because you're looking at uh, a logistics situation. And, and when you are faced with a class, let's say your normal class size is, is 15 athletes. And we all agree that if, if it's below, you know, seven or whatever, a really low number of athletes in your group, you're, you're able to give a much more individualized experience at that point and deliver a class that feels very, very personal to every single athlete that's in the room. Now, let's say you're able to still do that at 15. That's awesome. At 35, 40 athletes, let's say you have this huge hero workout that you're running. It's just not possible to do that with just one coach. And a lot of the considerations at that point might not necessarily, uh, uh, the top considerations are not always specific to movement related items. You have to start thinking about equipment. You have to think about space. You have to think about logistics. You have to think about timeline much more. Yeah, for sure. If you have those types of groups in front of you, those things become the primary considerations. How am I going to move this large group through this 60-minute timeline and do so in a way that everybody gets a really great workout, everybody stays safe, and they learn a little something about what's going to go on today? Now, you should be doing that all the time, but in a, in a situation where you have a large group, the considerations for safety and logistics are much higher on the pecking order. Safety from a standpoint of like, you can't have athletes doing movements where they're obviously going to interfere with one another. Not talking about safety and, and concern to like how the athlete is moving through the range of motion. Obviously, right. safety is also always a huge issue. Uh, right. To, to no, I think um, the, the, the beauty of it is both scenarios have great value. And honestly, like your, your, your hope when you're running group classes is that the same way that you're varying your workouts, there is a varying class experience, you know, like as your programming shifts, so too should the, should the vibe of your class and the way that things are being run. Like, I know we had a whole discussion about like, you know, not for time stuff. And, you know, again, we all had different feelings on it, but during the week, there has to be a different feeling to the workouts because it's not like every day you're going hard in the paint and doing the workout the chief, which is definitely a top 1,000 workout. Uh, I might do that today. Workout. Tip top workout. I might, I've been thinking about what workout. Cassandra the other day was like, I want to do an easy workout. She just did Linda. She makes me feel so inadequate. Wait, and, um, she said, wait, she said, I want to do an easy workout. And she did she, the She's three, like, I just want to get up and move. That's my wife, man. Um, she's in, she's a beast. Wait, um, who James, was it? I want to do the chief. I think I'm going to do the chief today. James, okay. If you do the chief today, we need you to get confirmation from Mr. Josh Bridges about what his score was on this workout. Because I remember Josh Bridges might have done seven or eight rounds. Insane. Of the chief every single round. And the I think Josh, because we did it with him, we did it together at Reebok once, and I think he had like a forty round or high thirty round chief. So the, insane. The chief is five three minute AMRAPs separated by one minute, right? Yeah, for sure. And what are the three movements? Are uh, three power, three power cleans. cleans, power cleans, push up, air squat. Yep, three six nine. Damn you, fine. 
three power cleans, six pushups, nine <laughs> air squats. And the power cleans at 135, 95. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's fucking astounding to do yeah. seven or eight rounds of that workout every single time. But that's a great, I mean, that's a great workout for him. A it, lot of workouts are great workouts for him, but that's it a particular. Isn't I, the, the simplicity of that workout. And then this week we did uh, Barbara and the movement that I was humbled by the most sit-ups. Oh my God. Like, first off, love that workout classic i got into the second round of sit-ups and i could start to feel my abs cramp a little bit i was like all right well here we go i did the workout on tuesday friday today still a little bit sore great workout can i make an observation so we did barbara ann one of the newer um girl benchmarks this past weekend which what is, is what is that one five rounds um 20 handstand push-ups 30 deadlifts at 135 40 sit-ups and um 50 double unders and then it's rest three minutes so very similar similar to barbara and um we were doing that workout super fun i was going through the 135 deadlifts at 30 30 reps so 30 reps per round 135 dead and i finished that workout and i was like you know one thing we used to do very often in crossfit was like lighter weight simpler movements higher rep like big sets 50s 40s and I feel like that's something I've seen slowly kind of die out in programming. And I don't know why my hypothesis is probably that like, once you learn how to do a muscle up or a handstand push up, you know, you're just going to live your world in Nate, you know, two, four, you know, these small, low rep, high skill workouts. And I was like, there's just something so like my grip was sore from that workout. Like I was, my shoulders were really sore. Like I was sore in a way that I hadn't been in a while. And I was like, I think some of our programming and CrossFit has really lost the art of how to do high rep volume well. Yeah, um, how about the workout dork? Yeah. Uh, Same thing, you know, it's like, and that, that I, yeah, I, I want to get on that kick for a little while. We're going to do, uh, on cap, we're doing Cindy kicking off May, I think Cindy May 2nd. And um, I was just looking at some old CrossFit.com workouts, and it's like, you know, 95-pound barbells, front squats, 40 reps, how about 40 um, push-ups? I just oh, I missed some of that simplistic high rep volume stuff. Hold on, how about Badger? Hold on, hold on. So I, that's for, Badger is one of the, the toughest workouts uh, in in CrossFit, I believe. Um, Badger three rounds. Um, it's a, is it an 800 meter run? 800 meter run. Three 30 rounds, squat eight, cleans. 30 squat cleans. 34. 30 pull-ups. Yeah, that workout's horrible. Um, very very challenging. But James, no, I agree with you. I think. I think I've observed the same thing. And I think one of the things is that we've all become enamored with the heavy barbell and or super high skill. Yes. Yes. I, and I think we've become a little, we've become enamored with the heavy barbell and high skill, and we've become fearful of volume and volume considerations obviously are very, very important in, when you're considering programming, but we've gotten to a point where I think we look at things that we go, moderate or, or moderate light or light movements for high volume. And we go, Oh no, 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 we can't do that. First of all, it's too simple. Second of all, it's uh, not going to get you the stimulus that you would get out of like 185 pound bar, 225 pound bar. And third, the volume is, is way too crazy, but well, I, how, I, how about this? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I do think that in the, the roots of kind of earlier CrossFit programming, 
the the light barbell higher volume was certainly much more of a consideration than it is now well the other thing that james just brought up is you live your life in nate which is a spectacular here workout pretty fucking comfortable two four eight like the only like i get it like the the handstand push-up it's a high skill the the, the muscle-ups are tough you're holding on to a kettlebell for eight freaking reps. And again, like great workout, but I, I agree with what you're saying. Like giving, giving some higher rep stuff, one going to get you fitter. Also, like it is going to get you a little bit tougher, um, you know, on that mental fortitude side. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you. What we're doing at tilt from now on, nothing less than 50, only 50 reps. So <laughs> so yeah that's- i don't know it was just like an observation i had and it kind of made me take a look at just some old workouts and well re- really quick i just want to talk about old workouts here because this week we programmed uh open workout 11.3 which is amrap 5 squat clean and jerk at 165 115 so what we did for class was we did a five by three clean and jerk squat clean and jerk for load and then we did amrap 5 uh, squat, clean, and jerk at 165, 115. Before class, I had a couple of athletes that came up to me and they said, hey, you know, normally on Wednesdays, we do something a bit longer and this seems pretty short. I said, totally fine. Let's go through today and then after class, let's chat. And they couldn't talk after class because they were dead. So we decided <laughs> to pick up the conversation on Thursday. Um, no, but I, uh, I, the classics are a classic for a reason. That workout is still so freaking hard. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a tough barbell weight to move through a really long range of motion, and you have to move it nonstop for five minutes if you want to put up any sort of respectable score in that workout. So five, for me, that workout's five minutes of singles every, the entire time. I'm not connecting repetitions Same. Yeah, um, at all. The, the song that we listen to, Bodies by Drowning Pool. Repeat. That's it. You just got five minutes of bodies. Should have been listening to the new Fall Out Boy album. Oh, we finally get to it. Oh my! Got two goodness. minutes. We got, got two, two minutes, minutes. So, two minutes. I, uh, James, I appreciate you bringing this up because <laughs> I didn't want to like this album. When why? It, why? Ah, because there's this nostal- kinda- there's this nostalgia element of this for me where the the first like three or four albums that Fall Out Boy put out were mind-blowing to me you know take this to your grave is probably one of my favorite albums of all time it's a complete smash from under the cork tree the the album that put them into the stratosphere with sugar we're going beyond the stratosphere beyond the stratosphere that's in the metaverse and then even their you know infinity on high foley so good yeah you can tell I'm i'm a super fan but then Man, you know, I don't care. Whenever I hear that song, I just remember just Andy at the fucking concert just smashing the drums like a beast. Oh god, it gives me the goosebumps. Yeah, Andy the Hurley. Gooseys. Andy Hurley, CrossFitter out there, man. He's one of the nicest dudes. <laughs> fucking rock star extraordinaire and uh an insane drummer. When they, these guys play in concert, if you haven't seen them, it's an unreal show. But their new album is phenomenal. One of my favorite albums uh, that they've ever put out. It's really, really cool. And uh, yeah, you should give it a listen. It's called So Much for Stardust. I, uh, I, I, I like that you're such a hardcore fan 
that like you don't want their new stuff to be good that, like that's that that's such like a that that's such like a fucked up thing you're like you're like i love this band so much like oh if you listen to their new shit nah only listen to the deep the deep cut the old oh shit, shit they're yeah. in anglewood colorado july 9th i'm going yeah you should go uh so oh there was some other cool bands too hell yeah who are they playing with? all right see you july 9th fall out boy bring me the horizon with. royal and the serpent Daisy Grenade, that's going to be dope. Yeah. Taking back Sunday. Oh, my goodness. Don't get me. <laughs> don't get me started what? right now if, if we had Fall Out Boy playing with Taking Back Sunday. Oh, just set just your take, phasers to done. Just take me back to 2006, baby. That's where I'm take, let's, take, let's take you back there. Um, I, uh... Well, 2006, for anybody who's like a emo pop punk person – 2006 was a uh, black parade. It was uh, a, a ton of great cartel had a great album. 2006 fall Out boy had a great album. 2006 is probably one of the, when I was 20 years old then it was perfect to be like that. Yeah. What God. a good time. 20. And now that you're was... 22. <laughs> <laughs> Got that Benjamin button. <laughs> All right. Any last words here? Wrap it up. James, you're doing the Chief today. We want to hear your score. We want to get I'm gonna do the Chief Josh, today. Yeah, yeah. Josh Bridges score. Max, we had a uh, text JB tell him I'm gonna smash his score. We did uh, uh, a variation of the Chief today at tilt. Amrap three times five, rest one minute, three box jumps, six dumbbell snatch, nine goblet squat. Woo. The goblet squat. The goblet squat has had the biggest glow up of any movement. It is it's now back in, it's back in age group semifinals. Which we wanted to talk about today, but we didn't get to it. We'll get there next time. Uh, good luck to Bubba Hoggood today, my athlete, 60 to 64, about to smash him. Nesbit. Nesbit. All right, fellas. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for recording. See ya. Hello, friends. MDV here. Thank you for listening to the Intro with MDV podcast. And if you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe for weekly downloads wherever you listen to your podcast. Remember, we have a new episode coming to you every Tuesday. And if you have time and five stars to spare, please leave me a rating and review on iTunes. If you're looking for more out of me, MDV, you can find me on Instagram at MDV underscore FIT. Until next time, friends, let's go. Let's go.